You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD+, and that helps you make energy, it helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD Plus risk-free for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD Plus. It's what I use. Today's cool fact of the day is that a lot of the wine you can get, especially in the U.S., is so not bulletproof. And there's lots of reasons for that. But to give you a couple of examples why... About 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated and they use synthetic fertilizer, which has an impact on the soil. And guess what the number one herbicide used by U.S. vineyards is? It's Monsanto's Roundup. And this matters because they say Roundup doesn't harm humans because it harms bacteria. Guess what lives in your soil? There's fungus, there's bacteria. They work together to make a healthy soil. And when you have messed with bacterial enzymes and bacterial reproduction, what happens, and this is documented in studies, is that the mycotoxin production of the fungus in the soil goes up by hundreds of times. And mycotoxins are neurotoxic, genotoxic, and toxic to your ability to make energy in your cells. So these are things you don't want growing all willy-nilly in your soil, especially if you're then going to ferment those grapes. That doesn't sound very bulletproof to me. Now on to the show. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash dave for a seven-day free trial. Todd White, 
who's our guest, is the founder of Dry Farm Wines. And I've gotten to know Todd over the last couple of years because he's a biohacker and he's been at the Bulletproof Conference. In fact, was serving some wine there. And if you've read my book or you've, uh, you've listened to a lot of radio shows with me, I'm one of those guys who are like, I really want... I really want wine, and in fact, I want all alcohol to be really healthy. If only two glasses a day was going to stave off Alzheimer's disease and make me perform better, wouldn't that be great? In fact, I'd also like high fructose corn syrup uh, to be uh, something that would make me perform really, really well, and Ben and Jerry's ice cream. In fact, pizza. Like If pizza was just like like superfood, like, oh my God, wouldn't it be great? No matter how much you torture the science, you actually can say that tobacco is good for you. A little bit of nicotine probably is, but smoking isn't. And I've come to the point where if you've read the Bulletproof infographic, download it for free, uh, I've ranked things saying, okay, a pre-filtered alcohol like a, a vodka is best. And the worst is beer, but right next to that is red wine. And I'm saying, so these are the ones that cause the most problems. So after I've done all this science, read all these studies, looked at toxin levels, both ochratoxin and other metabolic byproducts, here comes Todd White and he biohacks wine and uses organic and, and some of the other farming practices that I use in coffee. And then he did what I did with coffee, which is he quantified the farming practice. He used lab testing to validate that he was creating what he wanted to create instead of going, ooh, this tastes nice. Now, think about this for a minute. You have a whole generation or many generations of wine sommeliers. Ah, oh, it tastes like oak. Oh, it tastes like tennis shoes or whatever the wine tastes like. I'm not a sommelier. But... You also have multiple generations of coffee. People going, oh, I have notes of whatever that they tasted in their coffee. Uh, notes of cherry or vanilla or tobacco. Uh, we just did a big coffee tasting the other day. It's the same damn thing. Let's just be really clear. These are people who have hypersensitive noses and palates who go through and they quantify only the taste. And they, both of them have numerical ratings, but neither of those things has been very uh, biochemically accurate and in the case of wine, in the case of coffee, there's only one company in each space who's looking at flavor and biochemistry from a human performance perspective instead of from uh, th this perspective of let, let's see what biochemistry generates the best taste. Screw that noise. What biochemistry generates the best performance and the best taste. That's what matters. So that's why Todd is on the show today because we're going to talk about biohacked wine, and I, I really appreciate what he's done. I've looked into it in detail. So, Todd, that was a pretty big intro. Uh, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Dave. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put wine and pizza in the same category. But here's <laughs> what we well do together, don't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't eat pizza. <clears throat> As you know, I'm ketogenic, so I'm kind of a non-gluten guy. But let's, here's where we do agree, and I give a lot of thought to this, and we have uh, an amazing relationship with Bulletproof. We were the wine sponsor at this year's Bulletproof Conference. For your listeners who haven't been to the conference, um, it was we go to a lot of health conferences because we're the only biohacked wine on the planet, and we get invited to be wine sponsors at uh, many conferences. As you know, you and I see one another at uh, frequently at conferences. But the Bulletproof Conference is very special in that the energy – and the learning, and the people mainly. So I, I encourage any of your listeners who haven't been to the conference to really reserve that space this September in Pasadena for an amazing experience. Uh, th th thanks for the plug, man. You, no, you I, 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 I well, it's, it. it's just, I'm not <laughs> plugging it, dude. I'm just telling you from the heart that 
I have, uh, you, as you know, Mark Mosul is a good friend of mine now. I met him there. He's been a long time he's associate a, of yours. He's our MC at the conference, yeah. Right. And uh, just your whole team. That's another thing that's so remarkable. The Bulletproof team and the culture is just so supportive and friendly. So, But, you know, I've read all of your books and followed your work closely. And here's what we clearly agree on about alcohol. You and I are going to have some real clear agreement. Alcohol is toxic. So is water and oxygen in the wrong dosage. Yep. Uh, the second thing we're going to agree on is alcohol does nothing to enhance performance or bulletproof performance. What so, has resveratrol? Come on, man. It's good for you. Well, listen, resveratrol <laughs> is kind of a red herring as all the <laughs> polyphenols, as you know. Oh, you yes. would have to drink so much wine <laughs> to benefit from the resveratrol element that uh, you'd be swimming in it for the rest of your life. It, it's like that, lycopene and ketchup. It's the same. It's, it's like, come on, guys. Just because it's in there doesn't mean it matters. <laughs> that being said, here's what alcohol is good for. It's, first of all, it can be a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. And most of your in the right dosage. And we're going to talk today. I remember when you and I first had a moment uh, to speak about this at the Bulletproof Conference at one of your VIP dinners. Uh, which was, I said, hey, you know, people need to think about microdosing alcohol. And uh, you said, you know, I like that. That's a good idea. And so, so we're going to talk about dosage because dosage really matters. But I think we're alcohol and particularly wine. So I don't drink beer naturally because of all of its problems. And I don't drink spirits because I don't want that high of a dose of alcohol. I understand the argument around the distilled uh, purity of it. I, I've got all that. But but for me, I want to find, I enjoy wine. I've been a lifelong wine lover. My friends are wife, lifelong wine lovers. I live in the heart of the Napa Valley. Wine is a part of my culture, particularly around meals and and community. And mm-hmm. here's what wine does do. And here's what alcohol does do that's very positive in the right dosage. So alcohol raises euphoria. So we get in what I call the happy zone. Right. So we've got an increase in euphoria, but most importantly, and Dave, I know you'll appreciate how important this is when you're bonding and getting to know people. Most importantly, it also lowers inhibition slightly. So, so hold on. Did I, if, if I heard that right, alcohol gets you laid? Did I? I uh, mo- definitely <laughs> gets you laid. It definitely gets you laid. But, but in a cultural setting, when, when we're sharing and bonding with one another, when we have this kind of vulnerability that increases a little bit from inhibitions coming down yeah. and a euphoria where I want to stay in a happy place with wine and alcohol is where I'm still in a creative express. I'm, I'm creatively expressive. There's still cognitive energy there, you know, where we're having a deeper, better connection because of this community of, of sharing and, and exploring wine and, adventuring around the world on wines and that's what we do and combining that with bulletproof food right and so together that's where alcohol is beneficial and where people bond and have moments of kind of clarity and vulnerability together if the dosage gets too high that's a problem so so i'm I'm with you there uh, where there's some things like what if you need to fly across eight time zones land and then go give a presentation or have an important meeting, like it's actually bad for you. Like, like it, there's no argument that that's a beneficial thing to do. Uh, however, you're going to do it, right? So you might as well do it in the way that's most beneficial given the constraints. And 
if what you're going to do is you're going to have some wine and you're going to have the right amount of it and you're not going to have the downside that would come if you were drinking a lot of wine. I, I fully support that. Like biohacking isn't about like avoiding everything. It's that knowing, <laughs> knowing what you're doing and then taking control of the effects of it. So I, I really like. I was skeptical as all hell when when the bulletproof team was like, "Hey, Dave, you gotta you gotta talk with Todd." I'm like, "Really? Having a wine sponsor at the conference? Like, why don't we have Philip Morris in there while we're at it next?" Right? Like, no, no, pay attention to this. So I I really dug in, and uh, I I'm in full agreement with what you're saying. It, it I would prefer to drink wine to spirits because I like wine better, right? And I don't drink very much, but I can tell you, I had a glass of your wine at the Bulletproof Conference, and that is the least likely time for me to have any kind of, of alcohol because alcohol does have a downside, and most people who haven't run a conference like that probably don't have a conception of how much energy it takes. But to be able to show up on stage and where like every minute of every day is like fully maxed out because there's there's literally 1,500 people there or 1,300 people, I think, and they're, they all want to talk to me and my kids are there, my family's there, my kids want to talk to me and it's like just nonstop and you sleep six hours a night and you do it again. I would never even think of having alcohol in an environment like that, but I had a glass of wine because I can actually handle that very, very well because of the way you treat the wine. And and let's let's get into... What's different about a properly made biohacked wine? And this isn't meant to, to shit on, on any of the, the wineries out there that are making really flavorful wine according to traditional techniques. It's just that they make wine that's flavorful and amazing, but it has some hidden stuff in it that affects a lot of people negatively. And that I think we can, we can change the wine industry just as Bulletproof is starting to change the coffee industry where people are starting to talk about this problem that the American government didn't protect us from toxins in coffee, even though most other world governments did, it turns out the American government does have standards for toxins in wine. They're just not as good as other countries. So tell me what you do in, in your wine. What's different? Well, I want to touch base back for a second on an earlier podcast that you had done about, about alcohol. And in that podcast, you mentioned um, that when you drank red wine, it was European and older than you. Yeah, it had to have a yellow label. Right. right. The, so the not for export label is meant to stay in Europe where they keep the good stuff. <laughs> right. So here this brings up an excellent point, And I think the foundation of of your question, wines 42 years ago plus, I think oh, you're 42. Is that right? You said it was old. No, you look awesome. <laughs> but maybe it's the lighting in the studio. It's the stem cells I just did last week. <laughs> I heard about that. I was somebody was telling me that at a conference this, this past weekend. But wines 40, 50, 60 years ago were made exactly the same way our wines are made today, yep. right? And so they were additive-free. They had low intervention in the farming and low intervention in the winemaking. And so you're absolutely on point when you say, I want to drink a wine that's older than I am. Well, except for the wines that we procure and represent. And the reason our wines are different is because we have taken lab quantification to an already pure product to ensure that it meets our standards of purity. But let's start back. So at the very beginning, biohacked wines are organically or biodynamically farmed. Yep. The absence of any chemicals, synthetic fertilizers, or uh, any kind of poisons. And in our case, most of these farms have been organic or biodynamic for decades. 
most of the lands for the farmers that we represent, which are exclusively in Europe, most of them ha- are multi-generational. These guys are like activist farmers, right? <laughs> That's They're what like you want, right? of the land. They're fucking hippies, yep. right? Uh, they, they, I mean, they take real sincere pride and devotion into to stewardship of the land. They take real pride in discussion and the feeling of living soil. I don't know if you saw Dr. Joseph McCullough's post last week on the importance of living soils and yeah. even having our children <laughs> in living soils. And when you touch a living soil, you can pick it up and you can feel it and you can look at it and see the organisms and the the, the, the beauty of it, right? If I turn the camera that way, it would look down at the garden that grows all the food my family eats. My kids are in there every day digging and, and all. And it, it's part of living. Like we're not, we're, we go back to the soil when we're dead. Like, right, exactly. So living soil is where the foundation of farming begins. And then second of all, for the grapevine, and this is not true for all things that we grow, but for the grapevine, the first point of intervention, I want a natural whole product. Every time I can get the most natural, the most whole product in what I consume, that's what I want. And that's true for wine. And the first intervention is irrigation. So all of our farms are dry farm, meaning they have no irrigation. Let me tell you how that impacts the development of the vine and the fruit and its taste. And common sense will tell you this. 90% of a wine's taste and character, the finished product, begins with and is dependent upon the fruit that, that is the foundation of the product. It's just like if you squeezed a winter tomato from the supermarket, the juice out of it, and a summer ripe tomato from your vine there in, in, in BC, you would have two different types of juice. And it doesn't matter what you do to that bad tomato, it's never going to taste good, right? Wine is the same way. So the foundation of this product, its quality, both from a biohacked health point of view, as well as its taste, began with the fruit. An irrigated an irrigated grapevine has a root ball that's about three feet wide, right, and deep. It's very small because it gets all of its water and nutrients from the surface. An unirrigated grapevine has a root structure that runs 30, 40, 50 feet deep and around. Whoa. It's searching for nutrients and water because it has to go find it and break apart little pieces of soil looking for nutrients and and water. Common sense will tell you, and there's just a lot of debate within the industry because almost all of North American vines are irrigated. Uh, 99% plus of them are irrigated. There's a lot of debate about this topic, but I would tell you from my experience and common sense tells me that that fruit is more complex and that that vine has struggled to build its root structure and its complexity and in, in, in the quality of, 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 of fruit that it delivers. The, so it begins with irrigation, proper caring of liver, living soil, soils. And uh, from there, once, once you go into winemaking, here's the main difference between what our farmers do. And our farmers in Europe are also the winemakers, so they're one and the same oftentimes, or for the folks we deal with, oftentimes uh, at bigger estates and in the U.S., you have maybe a grape grower and a winemaker in this kind of uh, culture of celebrity winemaker. You have 
they're two different people. But in our case, they're small farms, small productions, and they're always the same person. But in the winemaking, we're looking for very low intervention. That means no oak programs because we're concerned about these heavy new oak programs and the wood compounds, and we don't know what may be coming from those. So, so you're you're not allowing oak in your production? No, okay. no. So neutral. There are if you go into some of the uh, some of the farmers that we represent, you'll see big oak vats, but those oak vats are old and neutral. They do not impart any compound or flavor from the wood. So, you, so old oak is okay, but new oak you don't. That's correct. So oak will go neutral in about five years, right? So it stops imparting flavors or or transferring uh, compounds. You had a question? Yeah, there's an interesting study, and people will be surprised because I, I anytime I read about uh, these mold toxins, I, I, I just dig in because I want to understand why they keep occurring in our food. And it turns out stainless steel fermentation uh, is more likely to produce uh, toxins during fermentation than oak. But that's not necessarily new oak. It's, it's any oak. So I, if I had a choice, I'd want old oak uh, because apparently the wood, the presence of wood or even probably the presence of some old oak in a stainless steel thing changes the response of some of the microorganisms uh, in, in a way that I, I find fascinating. But I, I'm impressed that you're only using old oak, not new oak, because I also oak tannins or maybe they, they change the flavor, but what they do biologically I'm not sure we evolved to eat oak tannins. I'm not sure our gut bacteria really like those things. I don't. Really, I just don't know. I don't know. I, they don't agree with me. Yeah. Uh, they I also don't like the taste of it, mm-hmm. and it's just heavy-handed. It's intervention from the winemaker. There you go. It's, we're not dealing with honest, pure, real wine. So wine can be fermented in stainless glass, clay, uh, uh, concrete. Uh, <laughs> listen, you can make wine in Tupperware. <laughs> Fire extinguishers in prison, anything. So. Exactly. So, 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 what we're looking for is very low intervention winemaking techniques, which mm-hmm. includes the use of no additives and chemicals. And let's talk about that for a moment. Yeah, yeah. Here's what in 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 the United States we have 76 approved additives for the use in winemaking, approved by the FDA. I'm going to talk about this. In Europe, there are 56. Our winemakers do not use additives of any kind. Okay. That is a huge differentiator. That was one of the things that, that attracted me to what you're doing in the first place. Like, that's how it was supposed to be. So what are the worst, say, five additives that the industry uses? Well, I mean, they, they, let, let me focus on – let me go back to the additives okay. for a second. Uh, so metals, copper is very common. Mm-hmm. Uh, ammonia phosphate, uh, defoaming agents. So let me tell you what a defoaming agent is. So when you move wine, when you pump wine over from, you know, from its fermentation to uh, when you move it between tanks, you, it creates a foam. Well, our winemaker, the kind of old guy, the hippie, he just waits on the foam to kind of die down. But uh, because worldwide and in the U.S., we want to make wine faster, not necessarily better. Right? We want to mitigate risk and increase profits, so we have defoaming agents that make the foam go away right away so we can make the wine faster. Right? That's the pursuit of profits. That's the reason we have these additives. But let me touch on these for just a second. Okay, go ahead. There's 76 of them. Uh, you can see online wine additives, FDA. It'll bring up the list for you. Right? But here's the thing, Dave, and you'll appreciate this. Of the 76 approved additives in the U.S. for winemaking, chemical additives, 38 of them 
include the acronym GRAS. And that stands for generally regarded as safe. So that's just about the most reassurance we can get from half of the approved additives by the FDA. And that's disturbing to me that the government says we're going to approve this and all we know about them is that they're generally regarded as safe. Our wines contain no, no, none of those additives. And the other, what's more disturbing to me is that the other ones that aren't even generally regarded as safe, but they're still allowed in wine, and they don't have to be on the label either, right? There is no labeling for wine. The only labeling requirement for wine is not even required to be accurate by law. So, the, and I'll, that's the alcohol, and I'll talk, touch on that in just a moment. But the, the wine industry has fought very aggressively and successfully a very powerful lobby, to keep contents labeling off of wine. That didn't happen by accident. Mm. Who else did that? Would that have been big tobacco? Yeah, exactly. Let's talk about big everybody. Uh, Speaking of big everybody, in Mm -hmm. the U.S., 51% of the wine made in the United States is made by just three giant companies. Now, they don't want you to know that. So it gets packaged up in thousands of labels and brands and little chateaus to make you believe that you're drinking from a small family vineyard. But in fact, these wines are made by huge conglomerates. This is a little known fact, but uh, Ian J. Gallo in Modesto, California, paid for the computer science laboratory where I studied <laughs> because they used to employ almost all of the graduates of the program where I went to school. I spent a couple years at California State University in Turlock, California. And I actually applied for a job at Gallo uh, in the IT department uh, when I was getting out of college. And the guy looked at me, and they took me on a tour of these million-gallon stainless steel vats where they were making wine. And the guy looked at me, and he said, you know, you have all the right qualifications, but I'm just going to pay to train you, and I can tell you're going to quit and get a job somewhere else, so I'm not going to hire you. And he was actually right. So, uh, But I, I did actually see one of those massive wine producers, and, and we walked through it, and I was blown away at the scale of this. Because this is such a far cry from the you know the old guy with the bent back and the oak barrels, uh, but that's what that's what we're buying in a lot of the stores. And I'm not picking on Gallo there. It's just I, I saw the scale of that. I'm like, this is an industrial manufacturing thing that like rivals the largest oil companies in terms of what they're doing. It, it was remarkable. Uh, so it's factory farming at its best. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The tank the tank farms, as they're known, uh, you can just see forever. You know, there's these massive tanks that, that hold wine. Uh, let's switch gears over to, speaking of additives, to talk wanna, about. Also, go ahead. Before we switch gears, I wanted to talk one more thing about the additives and, and the chemicals there. So a defoaming agent is going to contain a, a surfactant sort of thing. These are things that affect surface tension. And a lot of people who are, are listening to this are going to say, well, you know, the FDA says these things are generally regarded as safe. They're probably not going to be harmful. And, of course, the fact that half of them are not listed is a big thing. But one thing that surfactants do that isn't well understood is what is the cell membrane in your cell? It's a bunch of tiny droplets of oil, like they're micro droplets that repel water on both sides. So they push water into the cell and they push water out of the cell. So there's no, like, saran wrap around each cell. It's these tiny droplets of fat. When you take in some agent that reduces the ability of fats to make things like bubbles. What's it going to do to your body? I don't know, but neither do you. And really for most of these things, no one else has looked at their effect at the very small biochemical things going on. So you could say they're probably fine. 
I'll just buy what's cheap. And if that's what you're going to do, you might be listening to the wrong show or like, okay, that's cool. Go do it. The precautionary principle that I use for my family and, and for my own quest to live to 180 years old is like, if I don't need it, I don't want to do it. Like if it's not going to provide a, a, a known benefit or a likely benefit, screw that noise. I don't want it in my food. So I appreciate that you're just saying, all right, we don't need any of that stuff. Anyway, keep, keep going. That's one well, example here's, of the 76 here's, here's you're talking about. Here's the defining about. difference. And I love the proverb, and you live by this proverb, as do your followers and listeners. And, and to feel is to understand, yep. right? And so there's no truer statement if you can, as you know, we, I coach people. I try to help people improve their life, optimize their life through biohacking as, as you do and you reach millions of people. But the fact is most people make changes in life through desperation, not inspiration. There you go. Right. And so we, you know, while we, we, you talk to people about, wow, this is going to change your life. And you're so fucking excited about it because you know, it works and I know it works, but, but I always come back to the proverb when I'm coaching people or helping them get started on a program or a change. I tell them, listen, to feel is to understand. And when you drink these wines, and I'll tell you a story about Mark Sisson and, and, and this wine in a moment. But when you drink these wines, you just feel better. And there's no brain fog, no hangover. Yeah. You, you just feel great. It's and a so noticeable difference. It's a noticeable difference. And I know you don't drink a lot of wine, but some of your team members are no, regular I, I, wine I drinkers. Drink your, I drink your wine. It, it, it's very noticeable. Right. If, if I could get it here in Canada without a 10,000% tariff or some oh crap, I... I'd be drinking it up here. I have to carry it in over the border myself next time. But no, I, I, I do like your wine. If I'm going to drink red wine, I'll pick yours. Absolutely. So at uh, Mark Sisson for the first time at the Bulletproof Conference, this is another amazing thing about Bulletproof. You've got these great health influencers, some of the world's top leaders in thought, just roaming around on the floor, right? Yeah, Mark's and, awesome. I, I'm honored that he comes to the conference. I, I, I really appreciate him. Yeah. He, he's terrific. So, But you get access you know, and they're there because they want to share. So you get access to people roaming around. Anyway, so I met Mark at Bulletproof and I said, listen, you know, I'm doing this wine thing. And, and he's like, I, you know, I, I don't drink wine anymore. I can't drink wine. Makes me feel bad. Wakes me up at three <laughs> o'clock in the yeah. morning. I just want to think about my fucking business problems. And, you know, so that, he's like stress from the toxins. It, it, that, that's a mycotoxin, not even a histamine symptom, if you ask me. <laughs> right. So, so I said, listen, I'm trying to help you here. If you like wine, I can bring, I can, you can return to drinking. I'm trying to help you here. He's like, so finally, he said, well, just get in touch with me. So I did. And I invited myself down to his Malibu home and, and we did a wine tasting. I left some wine behind. And he came back to me and said, wow, I'm a believer. You're right. Yeah, I don't wake up and I feel great. Yeah. And, uh, and these wines are amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that because it's our wines. We have a very quantified approach to it. And the wines I drink, yeah. I also don't want to wake up in the middle of the night or wake up tomorrow morning with brain fog. I want to be able to enjoy uh, a micro dose of alcohol. Uh, let me switch gears to sulfites for a second. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. So, so there's three big things in wine. Tell me about sulfites. Well, sulfites, um, sulfites are, first of all, they're naturally occurring in, in, in winemaking. So even if you have no added sulfites, it's possible that you could have up to 20 or 30 parts per million of sulfites without adding any sulfur at all, right? Uh, the U.S. limit for sulfites is 350 parts per million. 
What's the European limit? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the European limit it's is. Probably lower, we, don't, but, yeah. we don't represent any wine that exceeds 75 parts. <laughs> okay. And most of the wines that I drink are under 20 parts. Yeah. And most of the wines that we sell are under 20 parts per million. What's the problem biologically with sulfites? Well, nobody knows. Here's what we do know. The red herring, or maybe you, you, you have some insight to them. The red herring is that sulfites make you feel bad or that people are allergic to them. That's just not typically true. There are more sulfites in a bag of potato chips. I don't eat potato chips. I'm sure you don't either. But yeah. there's more sulfites in raisins or dried fruit, which we probably also don't eat. But <laughs> sulfites are everywhere in, in, in food. And they're, they're, they're everywhere. So wine actually contains a very low amount of sulfite. Even wine where there's some added? Yes. Yeah, so yeah. our wines have, at some cases, some slight added sulfur as a preservative. But as I said, it's very little. Most of our wines have no added, no added sulfur. It, here's my perspective on that. People who are, quote, allergic to sulfites are most likely allergic to one of the other two compounds in wine. And if they're getting an immediate response to the wine, it wasn't. It, it was a biogenic amine. It wasn't the sulfite. Most of the sulfite reactions aren't so fast. People who have a hard time with sulfur in wine are also going to have a hard time with other foods high in sulfur. And they have a genetic defect in their transsulfation pathways. And this is one of those things that I've talked about in a couple other episodes where we look at, at your methylation pathways. And I actually have a slight problem with sulfur. It's, uh, uh, it's a homozygous, not heterozygous. But I handle sulfur pretty much just fine. I can use MSM. I can float in a float tank with Epsom salt and absorb sulfur through my skin. It's no big deal. There are some people where that's going to mess them up. And they might have a problem with sulfur in wine, but it's a small percentage of people compared to the number of people who are, quote, allergic to sulfites. They're getting a response, but I don't believe it's sulfur-based. It's something else. Let's talk about the other two things that might be in wine. What are the things that, that you also test for in wine? Uh, well, we test for a, 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 number of, a number of things that we're looking for. I want to dial back for just a second on mm-hmm. the labeling because we didn't finish this thought. Oh, yeah, yeah let's talk about labeling. Yeah, we didn't finish this thought, and we kind of skipped on down the road a bit in our enthusiasm, but I want to touch base on the labeling. The only thing that's required to be on a wine label relative to the wine in the bottle is the alcohol. Well, here's the problem. Your fine U.S. government, which has misled you on a number of nutritional and and diet aspects. They wouldn't do that. No, exactly. So the, the alcohol is not required to be accurate by law and can be as much as a percentage and a half point off. Wow. Further, further under, under random testing, uh, studies have found that in many, many cases, it's more than a percent and a half off because there's no enforcement around it, right? And typically, it's always rounded down because there's a perception that lower alcohol is healthier and wines with lower alcohol taste better, which they do. Well, um, what's your standard of deviation? You can't be perfectly accurate on each bottle because we are. We have every bottle lab tested. Okay, every uh, single. Well, it must be every cask or something. You're not doing it every wine. Well, we we actually represent farmers and winemakers in Europe. Okay, so we're not making the wine, but right, before right. we accept it into our portfolio, we send every single wine to a certified third party enologist who does independent lab testing for us, unaffiliated. We don't do our own lab yeah, testing. Got it. Uh, we want to make sure that 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 process is independent. 
It, it has to be independent. Um, I, I do that too. Uh, I have a, actually a variety of labs depending on what I'm testing for in coffee. And you want it to be independent labs. And like I, I ended up having to work with the labs to specify the specific technologies to find this versus the specific technologies to find that. But I don't want to run all that stuff. Uh, it, it's better to get the reports from a third party so I can... Uh, absolutely. So, so when you see alcohol on a label, it's, it's likely not even correct and it's not required to be. Finishing up on the label, coming back to your question, we believe, as you pointed out, the people who have an actual sulfur allergy or allergy to sulfites is really, really tiny. Really it's, tiny. And it's probably a headache, not the other allergic responses. It's right? really tiny. Mm-hmm. What, what most leading scientists believe and, and we believe is that it's more likely histamines mm-hmm. and other biomine that are causing folks to feel bad. And what to tell you, to give you an example why we know it's not sulfites, just anecdotally, you know, people who complain of wine making them feel bad usually say that they can drink white wine, but they can't drink reds. <laughs> well, in fact, sulfites are higher in white wines than yeah. they are red wines. But histamine are not, right? So yeah. histamine in wine comes from contact with the skin. And, 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 and tannins, tannin, natural tannins in contact from the skin. Your audience may know or may not know, and you probably know, but if you squeeze juice from a white grape and you squeeze juice from a red grape, the juice is clear yep. from both. Red wine gets it, its color from maceration or soaking on the skins. Mm-hmm. Histamine is created from that process. And histamines are exacerbated and exaggerated by long maceration period, long soaks on the skin. The reason that's important is because in the U.S., maybe worldwide, but certainly in the U.S., consumers believe that the darker a red wine is, the better quality it is. That's simply not true. But what it is true is is that it's going to have more histamine in it <laughs> uh, because the histamines are created from these long, long soaks. All of our wines are not subject to these long soaks. You can taste the difference. You can see that they're clearer, that they're lighter in composure because they don't have this long-term maceration. Histamine typically causes people to have a tightness right above their kind of nasal, right, right here. Yeah, but wherever yeah. that migraine starts, that one. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, um, so anyway, yes, to your point, as we had discussed it earlier, it's really the biomine and uh, there's, it, it turns out there's three or four different kinds of, of biogenic amines, which right. can cause problems. And funny enough, that soaking period with a fruit that produces histamine, is there another fruit that most of the industry soaks? Yes. I believe we call that the coffee cherry. Is, do I allow long soaking of bulletproof coffee beans? No, our coffee process is different. It's a continuous flow, non-washed coffee, and it's not traditionally processed either. It's the bulletproof process. And we do this because, you know what? The other thing that occurs in wine and in coffee, because it's a similar process, is, let's see, you get uh, the biogenic amines. It's histamine, but it's also an even worse one called tyramine. And right. this is a major trigger of migraines. And you get tyramine in wine, you get tyramine in coffee, and you get histamine in coffee. Guess what's not in Bulletproof Coffee Beans? Well, okay, like this stuff matters. And you go to the really fine detail, and 
I, I feel for you, man, because here's what happens with wine, and especially with your wine. People drink wine, they say, I feel bad, therefore I'm allergic to sulfites. People drink coffee, they feel bad, therefore I'm sensitive to caffeine. And what I'm finding is it's most of the time not true. What's going on is you're sensitive to histamine or you're sensitive to mycotoxins in coffee, depending on your symptoms. And it's the same in wine. So when I found out that you'd gone through that process of wine and you're like, okay, we're going to eliminate all these things by doing these tiny little things that no one thought about doing before, like you create a glass of wine and suddenly I can drink it and I feel like myself instead of all this other, uh, this other stuff that happens. So, so right. let's talk about these, these other things. We talked about histamine. Can you talk more about tyramine and where that comes from in wine? You know, I, I don't, it's from the same processes of these long soaks and macerations. They're all coming from okay. the same place. It, it's microbial action during the long yes. soak, essentially. Right. So this is a byproduct of these things, and it comes from breaking down different amino acids that are present in small amounts. So it, it, it's the same thing. There's it's exactly, a, yeah, it's exactly the same thing. Uh, yeah. Let me switch gears over to microtoxin. Or mycotoxin, yeah. Mycotoxin. Uh-huh. Uh, the ocratoxin A, all of our wines are screened for ocratoxin. Yep. I know your coffee is. You are also aware, because you and I have discussed it, that, uh, that uh, the limit for ocratoxin A in Europe is two parts per billion. For wine, you're right. Yeah, for wine. For coffee, it's five. Is that correct? Correct. And it used to be eight. They just lowered it to five because apparently they think it matters. <laughs> right. Not in the exactly. U.S., though. In the U.S., we just, we just drink it. Right. There's no screening in the U.S. for coffee or for wine. Oh, I for- thought there was a limit of like 15 for wine. There was none. That's no, there shocking. is no screen. It's not Oh, required. my God. Okay. U.S. government, wake the hell up on this stuff. Like, there's a reason. Like, China. Okay. I've been to China multiple times. I love China. But the Chinese government isn't known for taking good care of its people. Now, that said, they have government regulations around ocratoxin A. And, like, what is going on in the U.S. that we're, we're willing to take the stuff rejected by Japan, China, and Europe when it comes to wine and when it comes to coffee? And we're willing to just give it to our people. Like, that actually pisses me off. Well, here's what you'll love even more. The, it, there is ocratoxin A screening on U.S. wines when they're exported. <laughs> <laughs> so, there are, so there are countries that require it before they'll allow the wine to come into the country. But it uh, is not screened for here or monitored in the U.S. Uh, that is hilarious. And, and that's why until Dry Farms came along, I'm like, all right, here's the deal. Uh Generally, don't drink red wine. If you're going to drink uh, uh, very old red wine, or th- there's another vineyard that I, I've recommended. Uh, it's called Fry Vineyards. It's the only American wine that I'll, I would drink, uh, F-R-Y-E. And the reason I like these guys, I actually went out there, and you're saying, hippies? It's a biodynamic farm, and you go there, the entire winery is built of recycled buildings. It looks like a homeless shelter, right? I mean, it's got all these crazy buildings stuck together. Everything inside it is recycled, and you go for wine tasting, and they're like, oh, yeah. And they like find a two by four and set it on some barrels and kind of dust it off and, and set some wine there. It's the opposite of any of any you know big fancy winery I've ever been to. But I found I could drink a biodynamic wine like that, and I felt okay. Not always, but I felt pretty good to the point that like if I was going to go get a wine, I'm like can I find this one random small thing? Uh, but I don't believe they have the quantification that you do. And I know that when I drink the Dry Farms, it, 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 it's different. Just like. I feel different when I drink bulletproof coffee beans versus normal coffee beans. And there is variance. Like you go to this wine from this year, you get this effect. 
and you don't get a headache or you do get a headache and you drink this wine from this year from the same place, you're like, ah, oh, I, like I, I, I don't feel good. I want to go to sleep. So you do test for OTA in wine and, and you're, you're finding that like, what are, are your standards better than European standards or are they the same? What do you do? They're the same. Okay. Two parts per billion. I guess. Right. Say, but, but, but oh, mm-hmm. I've never seen any that approach two parts per billion. That's just the, that's the threshold. Well, with, with the agricultural processes that you have in place, I would expect not to. And my standards, so the, the coffee standards are five parts per billion. Uh, my standards are tighter even than two parts per billion. But sure. It's just to prove that our process, which is supposed to have none or as close to none as you can get, like there's no such scientific answer as pure zero because, you know, one, one particle per 50,000 container loads is still not none, right? Sure. And, and you would never detect that with normal sampling anyway. But to get it as close to zero as possible is, is our process is designed for that. But the idea there is you want a very, very low standard. And the fact that you're finding below your standard is a sign that your process worked. And, and if sure. you found at the standard, you'd probably start making some phone calls, right? Right. Yeah, okay. So let, let, let's switch gears for a second over to dosage, right? Yep. Uh, remember when, when we first met, I mentioned to you this concept of microdosing, which is how we kind of view alcohol, the drug, mm-hmm. right? Uh, alcohol is not even my drug of choice. It happens to be my cultural drug of choice, I, right? I'm with you there. And so, and so it is, I just love wine. I love the way it tastes. I love the exploration around the world. I love the adventure, but alcohol is a shitty drug, right? And so as such, we need to be very careful and think what we do is try and educate people to help them think about drinking and how to use alcohol as an effective drug for your pleasure, right? And so the U.S. government, again, I have to report, has misled you. Shocking. Yeah, exactly. They did this by saying, and you probably heard this, the government under influence from the industry, from the, from the alcohol industry, has said you can measure alcohol consumption in what the U.S. government calls a standard drink unit. A standard drink unit, and I'm, all of your audiences know how, no doubt heard this, oh, yeah, you is this that a beer, school, right? a glass of wine, and a mixed drink are all the same amount of alcohol, right? Have you heard that? It's not true, but I've heard it. Yeah, yeah, well, clearly, categorically, it's false. In 1987, in the UK, the British government developed uh, a way of communicating with their citizens to help them understand intoxication and alcohol and its effect on intoxication in a more quantified way. And it's the formula that we recommend. And if you go online, UK alcohol units, you'll see a Wikipedia page on it, but I'm just going to give you the short math. So in an alcohol unit, and we don't want to drill too far down the wormhole here, but uh, so I don't want to confuse anybody, but, but an alcohol unit in the UK is, 12, is 10 milliliters of ethyl alcohol. Now, how you calculate the number of units in a given alcoholic beverage is you take the milliliters times the alcohol by volume divided by a thousand. And let me just break that down for you very quickly. In the U.S., since we're working with ounces, most people relate to ounces as opposed to milliliters. In order to get the milliliters, you take the ounces times 29.6, 
and that will give you the, the milliliters. Uh, and a standard glass hey, of wine. Brock, would you bring the graduated cylinder from over there at the Bulletproof Lab? See it above the, above the oven? I'm going to show people who are watching us on YouTube. Yeah, that one. Um, bulletproofexec.com slash YouTube will take you to the channel if you're just listening. So this is uh, 100 mils. Right. That, that, so if you look on the camera here, uh, what, what you'll find is, is, so this is a reasonable amount of alcohol, right? <laughs> and this is 100. And right. 10 mils is the very bottom of this thing. Like it, it's actually quite right. small, right? Exactly. That yeah. is what the UK and what we consider the most effective way to quantify how much alcohol that you're consuming. And so one single unit is 10 milliliters of ethyl alcohol, right? Mm-hmm. Five ounces, which is a standard wine service, is 148 milliliters. So what you would do is you take the 148 times the amount of alcohol divided by 1,000. If it's a 12%, if it's a 12% wine, that comes to 1.77 units in a five-ounce glass of wine. So it's 1.77 I've, doses of wine. Which, yes, yes, yeah. under the unit scale. Because this is less than a tablespoon, the, the 10 mils. A tablespoon is about like 14, if I remember right. Uh, you're an expert. Uh, it, just from the top of my head, I, it may be different for oils and fats. There's a density thing, and I could be confusing grams. Anyway, uh, but it, this is a tiny amount is all I'm saying. This is you know, one-tenth of two-thirds of this tube, if you look at it. So it's, right. way less, so it's way less than you think it is. It is. And so, and so this is where we get into, we, we want to stay in that happy zone, the place where you have just an elevated euphoria, but still very clear cognitive response. Not only just response, but even with that elevation of euphoria, you're getting a little bit of increase in your creative expression. Right? You also, you get a slight boost in mitochondrial activity and ATP production from alcohol. There's a reason that like the St. Bernard's that dig you out of avalanches in the right. books from the 1950s, they had a little barrel on their collar, right? And that barrel had brandy in it. And it was there to increase your mitochondrial function if you were about to freeze to death. Like alcohol isn't always bad in those little doses especially. So I, it, I don't it, mind that. It just, it just depends on the dose. The dose and the toxins that are in right. it or not in it are, are the two big variables, right? And Oh, and sugar. Right. We didn't talk about sugar yet. Uh, dude, I was just, it was just on my <laughs> mind. I was just, okay. like, my head was blowing up over sugar, right? All right so let's I talk about like, sugar. Wow, we didn't even talk about that. It's so important. I'm sugar-free. Um, I, I, many of your listeners are sugar-free, and um, I'm really vigilant. I think sugar personally is public enemy number one. Um, followed by a couple of the other white devils. But, but sugar's just a real poison. Sugar's also a big part of what makes people feel bad. And so in wines, categorically, and we test for sugar, and I'll tell you about that in a moment. Yeah. As, as you know, and we spoke about earlier, I'm ketogenic, so I'm super, super sugar-free, right? Um, the, uh, in wine, categorically, Sugar can range from zero to 300 grams per liter. And to give your audience some reference to that, Coca-Cola has 108 grams per liter. So now, some of those sweet wines can be like dessert and then some. Exactly. So when, at the far end of the scale where we're talking about 300 grams a liter in wine, we're talking about ice wines and dessert wines, and that's at the far end of the spectrum. For most wines they're going to be in the sub 20 grams per liter range and many of them five to 10 grams per liter, which is still more sugar than I want to ingest. 
It's a pretty low amount. I, I actually wouldn't It mind. is a pretty low but amount. Five grams per liter, if I have a glass, it's one gram of sugar and I'm having alcohol, that wouldn't bother me. But I could see why you'd want to just be a purist about it, and I would respect that. I'm kind of a fanatic about yeah. sugar purity. Yeah, sugar's not a good thing. So anyway, all of our wines are lab tested for sugar. It's one of the key things we're looking for. None of our wines contain more than a gram per liter, and most are under half a gram per liter, which I think we could agree is statistically sugar-free. At uh, I, I would agree with you there. Interesting note about ice wines. Uh, ice wines sound kind of sexy, like ice. It must be made with ice, like ice kind of moldy, or something. They? They're moldier than hell, because here's how they make an ice wine. They, they leave the grapes on until the first freeze, so they're starting to spoil on the vine. And then they make a super concentrated wine. So you're getting like a syrup almost. They'll taste amazing, no doubt, because it's full of sugar. And they, it's super dark because there's a long maceration. So you get this like syrupy, super sweet, super moldy wine. And like if you want to get a headache and a histamine response from wine, like drink, get drunk on ice wine and, and see how you feel the next right. morning. And exactly. like that is going to just mess you up in the worst possible way. No question about it. Uh, finishing up on the dosing thing, yeah, yeah. alcohol... The reason I, I, I like to focus on, for my alcohol consumption and for microdosing, the reason I like to focus on low-alcohol wines as opposed to spirits, wine is a, uh, alcohol is a domino drug. It tends to yep. kind of pull you in, right? Cocaine's a domino drug. It kind of pull you in, right? And so... Co- coffee is a domino drug. It pulls you away. But no, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but anyway, so when you're microdosing, you're not kind of being pulled over, into that danger space. You're taking right? small doses. So how much is a microdose of wine? Like, like 10, this 10 mils, like how much wine are we talking about? I, 10 milliliters I consider to be a microdose. Now, and I do about oh. one of those an hour. Hold on, you do 10 mils of wine or 10 mils of alcohol? No, of wine. No, well, uh, of, of an alcohol unit. Uh, okay, so, so that's about three ounces of your typical wine that you'd be carrying? Three to five ounces. Three to depending five ounces. Upon, all right. Right. Okay, so you're willing to do one one small to, to normal size glass of wine, depending on the so an, per hour. An hour. Okay. Right. So and, so your body's going to metabolize about one unit per hour, mm-hmm. right? About ten milliliters per hour for the average person. As you know, there are variables for that for gender and size and age, but average runs. You're going to clear through about a, a, about uh, one unit an hour. No, is, is that true if you're in ketosis? Because I, I just finished an interview with uh, with Dr. Veach, who's spent 47 years with NIH, worked with Hans Krebs, and we talked about uh, a little bit about that, about how ketosis makes you uh, not process alcohol as well as uh, as someone who's running more on a glucose based metabolism. Do you find any effects from? That? I don't have. I don't have any. I feel better. Okay. I have no effect. I also do. Uh, I do bl- sugar blood and ketone blood daily. Okay. So there's my objective really in ketosis, as you know, many people, most people begin a ketogenic diet to shred weight, yep. right, to lose weight. Or just it's to very, feel good, right? <laughs> yes. Well, but, but most people begin to lose weight. You know, okay, they sure. plateaued on low carb and they mm-hmm. kind of want to break through a push through. I, I don't have a desire need to lose weight. Um, I stay in ketosis because of the brain buzz and the yeah. cognitive benefits and, it's what it's and all about for the me. focus and how it makes me feel. And so I, I, I do testing. I find no impact on either blood sugar or ketone production cool. uh, from, from, from our wines. I've not tested 
I don't drink other wines. It's a fair point. And by the way, I, I'm kind of the same way. I, I, I drink my coffee. I, I drink other coffee because I don't like how I feel on it. So you're, you're the same with your wine. And, and with your wine, you don't feel it. Other wine, you're going to get sugar and you're going to get some other stuff. So I, I hear you there. Yeah, I mean, I, for, so for me, I, I measure blood sugar because I believe, as many folks do, that insulin and glucose is really the, the kind of underlying problem with the sad American diet. Absolutely. Right? And, uh, and so you can avoid all that by being bulletproof. Let me skip over uh, to a couple of things. Okay. Uh, one, this, in microdosing, the psychology of the serving size. Right? Yeah. And so you want to make sure that your glass, when you go in a restaurant, they're going to fill your glass too high because their job is to sell wine. Right? Oh, they're going to get you drunk so you'll order more stuff too. It, it works pretty right, well. Right, right, right. So you've got to control that pour size. If you go into, if you're buying a wine by the glass in a restaurant, I just ask for a second glass, an empty glass. And then I dose out a smaller pour because it makes me more conscious of the way I'm drinking it. The other huge benefit is that you need that headspace in the glass to properly experience a wine's aromatics, right? It's you just put a little put a little hand frother in there and do it like I yeah, you could do that, but 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 so you so you want more head two dollar Amazon whipper thing, yeah, okay, exactly. It also, if you order a bottle of wine in a restaurant, control your bottle. The mm-hmm. server's objective is to pour heavy pours to get oh, you yeah. to buy another bottle. So it's perfectly acceptable when you're in a restaurant. It's perfectly acceptable to let your waiter know that you'll be in charge of your pours. I'm going to take care of our bottle. That's an interesting idea. That, that'll save you some money as well. Okay, cool. Well, it also, it just, you know, it's just, it's just you want to be able to control your bottle because if well, not, you're going to be overserved. And so how many speak, glasses you know, did you drink if you keep topping up your glass? You have no idea how much you drank, right? Right. You want to control that. And you want okay. to let that glass go down to, down to empty and then put in a small pour, like two or three ounces, so you can experience the wine. And you yeah. can experience it in the glass. I'm really happy you said that. I never, I never thought about how irritating it is in a restaurant when your your glass gets getting full. I've thought about this before. I've been like, I don't know how much I drank, but I, I never put two and two together that that was a conscious manipulation to make me buy more wine. So thanks for pointing that out. That's cool. No, it's you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal a couple of months ago where the you know the wine writer there was just railing on the restaurant industry over this issue. I, I you know I find most servers are just pretty good people trying to do their thing in life. And I don't think it's really conscious on their part. If anything, they just want to be generous. They're trained that way. Absolutely. And they know people like wine. There's nothing wrong with that, but restaurants do all sorts of underhanded crap to make you buy more stuff. I I know I run a restaurant and the the number of of food purveyors who sell MSG that doesn't have to be labeled as MSG because restaurateurs know that you put that in the food tastes good. People eat more, but then they buy dessert because they got a sugar craving. Like it's built into the restaurant industry, and it, it makes me mad. So, well, look at salad dressings. I oh mean, God. talk about sugar. I mean, it's it's uh, it's uh, it's just it's kind of crazy. But uh, so anyway, the waiters. No, our job in educating and coming on shows like yours and trying to reach out to the public is say, hey, wait, we've thought about this. And there's some smart ways you need to think this through, and I'm going to help you think about it. So next time you're in a restaurant, maybe you'll take a different approach that will result in a different outcome for you and your family, right? And so our job is education. Now, let's talk about being overserved for a moment, what I call glorious exceptions. These things happen, right? 
And so here's what I, here's my recommendation for glorious exceptions. And here's when glorious exceptions can most often happen. Weddings, birthdays, special occasions, night out with your bros. This is when glorious exceptions tend to happen and things get a little beyond our control. You can normally see those things coming in advance. So what I recommend are, are, are a few things. First of all, the single most important thing is you have to stay hydrated. If, if Hydration is critical and key, right? The problem, it's hard to remember to stay hydrated. So oftentimes it, it helps to have some kind of reminder. Sometimes I'll put a Band-Aid on a finger or or just something to remind me I need to stay hydrated because it's easy to forget when you're tumbling down that path of gloriousness. I, I like to put a bottle of San Pellegrino. Yeah, I know it's run by a big evil conglomerate, but sure. uh, sorry, it's St. Pellegrino. It, it, it's the best bottled water that doesn't have crap in it that you can get at most restaurants. It's better than tap water and uh, actually tastes pretty good. So I, I wish a different company owned it, but they don't. So I put a bottle of Pellegrino there and if I'm going to do wine, it's actually going to be one of yours or it's going to be a really expensive bottle or I'm not going to do sure. it, but that's going to be there too. And, and here's the, the trick. If there's water left in the water bottle, but there's nothing left in the wine bottle, you did it wrong. That's generally how I would go about it. No, I think it's a great idea. It's just important to remind people it's super easy to forget. You got to have reminders, got to stay hydrated. Number two, if I know it's going to be a big night, I hate to plug you here, Dave, but it's upgraded charcoal. <laughs> that stuff matters if you're going to be drinking. It, it, I will not have wine without that. Of course it matters. <laughs> so I keep a supply here. So it's charcoal and uh, I'm going to do some, some bulletproof glutathione. Yeah. Uh, which I find in the morning, particularly the day after, just gives me an instant boost, right? Yeah, it, I just get kind of a head rush. I don't know if it does this to everybody, but I just get this kind of, kind of a feeling of re, of renewal from your glutathione product. I also happen to like the taste for whatever reason. Like yeah. I know your prior product didn't taste so good. <laughs> okay, so here's the truth: the first glutathione force, the the taste was somewhere around liquid dog fart. It was right, right. freaking horrible, but it worked so well that people loved it anyway. The new stuff is like you actually like it. It's it's, I actually kind of, it's kind of, like kind of an cinnamon, orange, clove, orange. Yeah, it's not bad. My kids eat it, right? <laughs> I don't think it's bad at all. But 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 after a glorious event where I've been a little less disciplined on microdosing, I find the next morning that a shot of your glutathione just just picks me up, and uh, definitely got to hit the ch- the charcoal before you get uh, started at night. Uh, well, I uh, I certainly stand by those recommendations, and they're in the bulletproof infographic and all, just uh, things to do to feel better. Well, Todd, I, I asked you to put together something for bulletproof people, and and if you're listening to this, we're going to give out a, a code so you can get a, a bottle of the wine for for one cent. And here's the deal: I'm going to give out a URL, and by the way, um, I will make something off that. I don't know how much because that's not why I do this show. Uh, but if you're uncomfortable with the fact that that is an affiliate offer, I'll give you a URL at the end where you can make sure that I get nothing from it. I, I do appreciate being <laughs> able to pay Brock and all the production costs of the show and, and all that stuff. Uh, and I'll live if you don't use the Bulletproof code, but I'm grateful if you do. So what, what's the code for people to get a bottle for a well, So we have two codes. We have okay. the one penny spectacular dry farm wines, lab quantified, healthy biohacked wine for one penny. And you can get that at the landing page, dryfarmwines.com forward slash bulletproof. That's dryfarmwines.com 
forward slash bulletproof. Now, if you don't want Dave to get paid anything for this, for this, uh, for this affiliate reach, you can go to dryfarmwines.com and just place an order. And, right. uh, and Dave will, uh, receive nothing. We, we hope that Dave gets something because we really love the work that Dave does. And let me stop on that for one second and say, on behalf of millions of people, uh, I want to say a heartfelt, sincere thank you for the work that you do. I've followed you for years. And here's, when I say really a sincere thank you, here's what I get from the work that you do that is so important to me. Your infographics, the way that you're able to deconstruct complicated topics, your knowledge base to guide people like me who are not researchers and not scientists, your, the way you compress complex topics into, into easy-to-understand sound bites. And I'll tell you the one I saw just most recently, your videos. So I saw your video the other week on grass-fed beef and organic beef. Oh. <laughs> Dude, it was so awesome. Because you you took this really the way you laid out these infographics and you had these columned sort of recommendations and broke it down. If you want to do this, okay, well you can go one step down and it's not as good, but it's kind of looks like this. And so deconstructing these complex topics and bringing that information together in a simple manner is really a special talent that most people don't have. So on behalf of everybody who loves you and follows you, uh, thank you for that great work. Oh, Todd, Todd, thanks. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I, I I spent a lot of time on those infographics because uh, I was a teacher for five years of really complex topics at the University of California, and being able to to just make it so you don't have to buy uh, the Bulletproof Diet. You just get the infographic, and you've got like the skeleton, and you can flesh it out, and you can learn all the stuff. Or you could just take that and put it on your fridge. It doesn't cost you anything but the cost of your own printer paper. And like, and then you benefit, and that's that's the point because no one no one gave me that stuff when I was sixteen when I could have really benefited. So it, it's kind of my revenge on the world. Uh, <laughs> like here, just get have that. Like here's the tools, and maybe you'll, maybe you'll, maybe you won't. But I, I appreciate that it, it's helped you, and, and thanks for telling me. Um, likewise, I I really appreciate that you did what you did for wine. Uh, people, the, the coffee industry is still kind of up in arms about. Toxins in coffee don't matter. I'm like, well, okay, respectfully, most of the world governments disagree with you guys, but, but that's cool. And uh, saying, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and I'm going to just be obsessively pure about it, uh, it's made a difference in my life. And, and I, I hear all the time people who can't drink coffee except mine. I'm like, all right, fine. Like, maybe, maybe we're all placebo heads. All right, I'm good with that too, uh, except that's not what the labs say. And in your case, uh, you've done the same thing for wine, and I... Actually, I didn't think that was probably possible, uh, which is why I, I did think three years ago, like, maybe I should do something with wine. I'm like, eh, alcohol's not that good for you. And I don't think it can really be done. And like, that's just a hard industry to crack. And here I meet you a couple years later, you crack the industry, you did it. And the only people I think are going to have a hard time drinking uh, your wine are people who have uh, like severe problems with yeast. And for those people, anything, including apple cider vinegar, might not be a good thing. And in that case, they need to fix their yeast problem. And once it's fixed, they can probably tolerate wine just fine. They may need to let some autoimmune things settle down for a few months or even a year. Uh, but I used to have a ton of yeast allergies like that. And I used to have candida problems. And those are gone. And you can fix those. And funny, does a ketogenic diet make it harder for yeast? Yeah, it does. So if you're doing this whole lifestyle thing, 
I am actually pleased to be able to reintroduce wine in in low doses uh, on a conscious basis without telling myself, dude, it's a health food. I'm going to make like a wine smoothie every morning. I'm going to pound this and I'll get swole. Like that kind of crap, it, it doesn't work and that's not how it is and I wish it was that way. So I, I just, hats off to you for just being kind of the, the nitpicking asshole in the best possible way. Like, you know, I am uncompromising in my standards. I'm just going to do it the right way and I don't care if you like it. I'm fanatical. Feels different. Yeah, living it's what it in takes. Napa, listen, dude, living, living in the Napa Valley, you can be sure it doesn't always make me the most popular <laughs> guy at the table. Uh, Do you ever get death threats? <laughs> no, no, no. This, it's a very loving place. It's a great community. So uh, everybody drinks different things, you know? Oh, totally. I, I had a chance to meet uh, Jenny Jackson uh, at, uh, at Business Rockstars at the studio. She's one of the Kendall Jackson family. And we had a great conversation about wine. And just just a, a really kind-hearted, loving person, and I was, I was appreciative that Ken Rutkowski uh, from Business Rockstars just introduced us, and uh, she tried a little bit of bulletproof chocolate with some red wine, and I drank some of her wine, and, and it was delicious. What, the one she brought a special reserve, and like you know, wine is a part of our culture, and, and I'm I'm actually really happy that you did it right. Like I I'm grateful. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. So I got one more question to ask you. Sure. And the question is the one you're probably expecting because you've heard the show before and hopefully you didn't prepare too much ahead of time. But if someone came to you tomorrow and said, I want to kick more ass at everything I do. I want to be a better human being. What are your top three recommendations for kicking more ass at life? What would you tell them? I'm going to finish up on this one. It's uh, I have given it since thought. All right. You prepared ahead. Well, I've probably listened to more than a hundred of your shows. And so I, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. So I obviously knew about the three questions. Um, I do, I practice a lot of biohacking, um, non-traditional forms of life optimization, uh, cold thermogenesis, Wim Hof breathing, ketogenic, intermittent fasting. Uh, I'm sort of extreme on and fanatical on most all accounts. But to me, the number one biohack of all time is meditation. Yep. Meditation is the foundation for the everything that moves forward. So meditation is our ability, and I want to talk just a second on the meditation is our ability to manage the trauma of thinking. To not to, to manage the, the the trance of the past or the anxiety of the future. And so the reason I say meditation is the single most important thing although it's difficult to get people to do it. The reason it's the single most important thing is because it sets the, the channel of flow and peace for everything else that you want to accomplish. Number two, power your body and mind using food as medicine. And the best way to do that, my friends, is go bulletproof. So on powering your body, the most recent book that I read on the topic that's become my standard of life optimization for powering my body through endurance is Mark Sisson's new book called Primal Endurance. I don't know if you've oh. read it, but oh yeah, I, 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 re- I so appreciate Mark's work. Like Mark, Mark is 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 so solid, and I read all of his books and I recommend them. Absolutely. His his recent book is just like this amazing deconstruction of performance endurance. And really about slowing your fitness down. So by, anyway, by I the way, if you take Mark's new mayonnaise and you just smear it all over your body, you'll perform better. 
Exactly. Yeah, that, that is really good mayonnaise. I just got to say, good, I love good, good work, Mark. Anyway, uh, <laughs> number three, number three, I'm going to close up on this, but number three, kill fear and be bold. What I mean by that is being bold and, and, and sort of accepting change and uncertainty, uh, failure and adversity. Hmm. It, my, it, sound, it, it sounds almost like you and I were hanging out at uh, P, the Peter Diamandis Abundance 360 conference, the guy who wrote Bold the Book. He did read Bold the Book. It, I got to plug Stephen Coulter for it, it, Rise Cutler, of yeah. Superman, too. It, exactly, but uh, we were all hanging out at the, Yeah, we, we were hanging out with Peter Diamandis drinking your wine not so long ago. So I, it's funny I, that you brought just up Just a bold. few weeks ago, in <laughs> fact. It was a great conference. And, and let me finish up on number three here because yeah. I know we're going long. On the last list of being bold and killing fear is criticism. And so we've got to be able to embrace criticism, particularly our internal criticism. That's the story that we tell ourselves about who we are. We can change that story and reinvent that story anytime we want. We just have to have the desire and direction to change that narrative that we tell ourselves. And when we do... We can, we can, we can uh, dampen down that self-criticism. I find meditation is the most effective way. And finally, for the exterior critics, who I know you know a lot about, anybody who does anything to change anything or contribute to anyone knows about external critics. And here's what I tell you about an external critic. An external critic has an inside story that's comparing them to your outside. And there's something about your outside inside of them that makes them uncomfortable. It almost has nothing to do with you. It's all about them. And so we just have to frame it that way and ignore it. And in closing up, finally, I want to say, I want to close. You've heard this before, but for your listeners who have not, I think it's really powerful. And I want to close with this. It's, it's part of a speech from 1910 uh, with Theodore Roosevelt, the president. I know you've heard this. Oh, yeah. But it's powerful for those who haven't or those. I always, every time I think about it, it causes me to feel great. Let me start the recital. It's not long. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles, or where the doer of good deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust, sweat, and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again. Because there's no effort without error and shortcomings, but who does actually strive to do the deeds who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best, in the end, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who know neither victory or defeat. Dave, peace out, my brother. Thanks for having me on today. And to your listeners, kill fear and be bold. Todd, thank you for an awesome episode of Bulletproof Radio, and thanks for your work. All right, talk to you soon.
Talk to you soon. If you like today's episode, and you, ha- you have to like this. I mean, how could you not enjoy this? We just told you how to drink wine. Uh, you know what to do. Uh, check out the dryfarmwines.com slash bulletproof link because I'm going to forget that in about five minutes. I'm also going to make the opposite one for you. Uh, bulletproofexec.com slash wine. We'll forward you to the right place. Either way, it'll, it'll get you there so you can get a, a bottle for a cent. And if you don't want to do that at all and you're like, Dave, I am one of those people who is not in the arena and I have a cold heart. And I'm a bad person. My mother didn't love me or whatever your internal story is, man. I'm, I'm going to just leave that with you. Uh, then you just go to dryfarmwines.com uh, and just order some stuff. And, you know, if you're going to drink red wine, this is actually really good. And we didn't talk about this on the show, but uh, alcohol is a, a just recently discovered effect on the GABA B receptor. So this is a, a, an interesting biohack, and I have no problems with using wine that's clean at these kind of doses. I believe that is a bulletproof practice and one that can improve uh, the, the quality of your life because it improves the quality of fun. So this is a big thing for me. I've basically been saying for a long time and all my writing, like, don't drink. It's just bad for you. And, and I just shifted based on Todd's work. So I don't do this lightly and, and I don't do this kind of thing that often. Uh, but I am willing to reconsider my opinions. And I'll tell you, if you're, if you're going to do this, uh, there are merits to it and it's worth it. Thanks for listening and thanks for liking the show and all that kind of stuff. And hopefully this has been uh, valuable for you and this lets you add something back to your life that maybe you miss. Have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.